Hello, I'm John Steele of Cafe Direct, and this is the Building Better Business podcast, a podcast that examines how business can and needs to be more than just making money. Unraveling how we create new business models to better serve our communities and the environment. This really is the future of how we'll do business and how we can all play a part. To celebrate the launch of our new podcast, the first 50 subscribers who review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or followers on Spotify will receive a £10 voucher to spend on delicious speciality coffee from Cafe Direct's London Fields Roastery. Just send photos of your subscription and review to podcast at cafedirect.co.uk by midnight on the 21st of November 2021. Today we have Claire Rhodes, the CEO of Producers Direct, a charity set up by Cafe Direct in 2009 to improve the livelihoods of the smallholder farmers that supply Cafe Direct's tea, coffee and cocoa. Producers Direct is led by farmers and runs programs to turn smallholder farms into sustainable businesses. Claire will talk about the advantages of a charity led by international smallholder farmers and how it's seen huge entrepreneurial success by harnessing the smallholder farmers' wisdom and knowledge. A staggering 80% of the world's food and commodities come from smallholder farmers. They are essential to our food and agricultural systems, and this is why their sustainability is so important to all of us. As farmers battle with the effects of climate change, Claire will explain how urgently businesses need to protect and replenish the environment in which they operate for the survival of our growers. And only by collaborating together across organizations and countries can we do this together. It's lovely to see you and lovely to talk a little bit about Producers Direct because it's it's now 12 years ago that you set up this groundbreaking charity and um, it's probably been quite an incredible 12 years, but we'll come back to that. Just tell us a little bit about Producers Direct. I suppose it's the elevator pitch, really. Uh, no, thanks so much. And thanks also for being invited to join you today. I think it's hopefully it'll be a great conversation that an hour doesn't feel enough really to go over everything over 12 years. But I think maybe first to say Cafe Direct should take a huge amount of credit for where Producers Direct has, has come from. You know, the idea ultimately behind Producers Direct was Cafe Direct thinking about how they were reinvesting profits from the business back into the supply chain and to support the smallholder producers that Cafe Direct at the time was sourcing from across Latin America and East Africa. And I think it was a really bold step to create Producers Direct because essentially it was Cafe Direct taking the decision to put that decision-making on how profits were reinvested into the hands of producers themselves. And so Producers Direct was set up uh, in 2009 to be an organisation led by smallholder farmers for smallholder farmers. And essentially what that means was that right from the governance of Producers Direct, um, you know, the majority of our board members were smallholder farmers. And the way that we do everything on the ground in partnership with producer organisations is really putting farmers at the centre. So you know, right back 12 years ago, that was really pioneering. And, you know, I, I still kind of maintain it's, it's pioneering now, 12 years later. Yeah, so in Producers Direct, essentially, uh, we were set up to support smallholders to address the challenges they're facing. That ranges a huge number of different challenges from competing successfully in international commodity markets, managing farms profitably, like looking at how to improve the quality and the productivity of their farms, particularly their tea and their coffee, and doing all of this while tackling climate change. So Producers Direct over the years has invested in both in-person and digital ways of 
supporting farmers to improve their livelihoods and working closely in partnership with the 37 producer organisations to do that across East Africa and Latin America. So, yeah, really proud of where we've come from and excited about where we're going. Yeah, to have committed so much and to have achieved so much in 12 years, you should be rightly proud. I wondered whether... Because essentially it was about starting up a business or a charity to be the, the best it can and to be a pioneering model. What did it feel like as the founder of a pioneering charity in those early days? What was both exciting and really challenging was that when uh, Producers Direct started, I had a business plan that was handed to me on paper, which was the plan that the 37 producer organisations had designed uh, together over the year before. And essentially, there was really high expectation uh, on my shoulders to actually achieve this plan. This plan was hugely ambitious. You know, some of the goals that were in the plan back in 2009 are ones that we're only just getting around to addressing today, like the interest of producers in uh, selling their products locally and diversifying. And so, you know, it's, it was a really ambitious plan. And it was a plan that probably needed millions of dollars to be delivered, not, not necessarily the budgets that were available in the early days. Uh, but at the same time, it was so exciting because you could see the commitment of the producer organisations and the partnership that had been developed with Cafe Direct over the years. And and the producer organisations trust also in Cafe Direct and how delighted they were that Cafe Direct had placed that confidence in them to take leadership of this organisation. And I think that weight, it never goes away, the weight of uh, feeling like you're not quite meeting the expectations of this very diverse network of 37 cooperatives with all different priorities and challenges. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's such a privilege to be working with so many different cooperatives all over the world. And really feel like there's such kind of uh, strong potential to be able to achieve so much because we have these direct relationships with those cooperatives. What's always amazed me is, you know, you, you are genuinely putting smallholder farmers in leadership positions and at the heart of everything you do. What do you think it feels like for the, for the producers to be able to be in that position? Because it's a very different charity model to the traditional model. Yeah, and I think I would say, to be honest, it's it's a mixture. I wouldn't necessarily claim that over the years, Producers Direct have you know, benefited the livelihoods of over 1 million smallholder farmers, but I would say only really a small percentage of them really see the direct benefits of being involved in Producers Direct's governance. So that's something we'd love to strengthen over the years in terms of the smallholders themselves really seeing how they're part of this international network even from the situation where a lot of smallholders don't necessarily even realise where their coffee is being sold to. So there's there's definitely that, that challenge of reaching and connecting with uh, smallholders across the world directly. But certainly in terms of the producer organisations and the uh, leaders that have played a key role in the governance, we work with uh, the management closely of 37 cooperatives, but we also have invested in a network of farmer and youth leaders and they really do see that strong potential and their responsibility to advance the producers' direct activities. I think they, they love that they have a voice in an international platform. You know, particularly at the board meetings, they get very excited and, for example, the potential to see where their products go uh, when they see the Cafe Direct packaging, for example, and to, to feel like they have an influence on the governance of both Producers Direct and Cafe Direct, I think, is, is really exciting for them. I think it comes with its challenges too. I can't emphasise how difficult it is to have a board meeting internationally when you've got people speaking multiple languages and you've got a mixture of board trustees, uh, some of whom are experts in charity governance, others are smallholder farmer representatives who, you know, their main priority is, is the farming side. It's it's not easy. You know, that dynamic definitely isn't, isn't always smooth in, in board meetings and, you know, how you balance 
the priorities of the smallholders with the priorities of, of managing an international charity. But I think it's all part of the challenge. And if you're really committed to pioneering producer leadership and the governance, you have to weather those challenges, even though I've probably got a few more grey hairs now than I had 12 years ago. <laughs> It strikes me that, yeah, sticking to those principles through thick and thin is key, isn't it? And not often people get challenged and their principles get pushed around by money. And I, I think it's been wonderful to see you all sticking to what you believe in and the model that you believe in. And how about um, some of the real big success stories? I mean, you know, there's been a, a lot achieved. There's been difficult times and, and easy times, as, as there always is in business. But what, what are the real highlights of the 12 years for you, Claire? But I think maybe kind of break it down into the impact that we've had on smallholder livelihoods and then maybe the recognition that that has enabled us to achieve internationally. So, you know, for me, really, the challenge and the thing that is always uh, the most important in terms of achievement is really challenging ourselves to see how we're improving the livelihoods of specific farmers. So, for example, the work that we have done with our network of over 500 youth leaders over the, the years, but now particularly seeing them grow in confidence um, and seeing the opportunities that they're realising now in terms of developing their own agribusinesses and also the way that their perceptions have changed in terms of them seeing agriculture and agroenterprise as something that they could aspire to rather than something that I think typically agriculture gets a bad press and a lot of a lot of the time youth want to abandon agriculture and, and move to the cities and you know, so the work that we've done with the youth leaders and seeing them really excited about the potential of agribusiness, but also new agri-tech opportunities has, has really been exciting. And I think also working with women, one of the projects that we started a couple of years ago in Peru has been uh, working with women smallholders and particularly looking at how they can make uh, extra income from the crops that they're growing, mainly for food security to feed their families. So we've been working with a group of women in Peru and are looking at how they can sell each of their surplus vegetable or fruits for a few extra dollars, which might not seem that much, but actually over a year has, has led to doubling incomes for their families, which has been exciting. And so those, those really kind of concrete examples are kind of what makes most sense. But then kind of in terms of international recognition, I think it's been a privilege. We won the Google Impact Challenge in 2014 for the work we did to develop WeFarm, which is an SMS platform to enable farmers to share knowledge and the success of WeFarm over the years now, we, we've scaled it up and spun it off as its own independent business. And that in itself has now reached 2 million farmers. So we've had some really strong examples of success like that, where a solution developed and designed by farmers has ultimately been scaled to achieve really high impact. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Because it, it is kind of real entrepreneurship. Doing good and achieving things is not about just ethics. It's about being entrepreneurial and taking risks and to see a kind of fledgling charity spin off an idea and then watch that scale in the way that We Farm has has been truly remarkable. I think going back to your point about the role of women, and I remember going to Peru with you, I think it was 2018, and going over the Andes to Pangoa to see Esperanza running a quite remarkable cooperative. But I just remember that farm that uh, Esperanza took us to where the man and wife explained exactly how they diversified beyond coffee into fish farming and vegetables and so on and so forth. And it was so wonderful to see the pride and the confidence and the kind of business ownership. Was, as you're describing it, it was people really taking control of their destiny and being really proud about what they're achieving. It was wonderful, wasn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. And that, so that was Olestina and her husband. And uh, so one thing to say is that that leadership has come from her and, and also Esperanza as a female leader in a cooperative that, you know, she as a female leader has been 
so inspiring for the women um, at Pangaua. And, you know, Producers Direct can't, can't take credit for that. But what we do do is then we amplify and invest in those women leaders that have been uh, sort of encouraged by Esperanza and enable them to share knowledge and really encourage other women, not only within the cooperative, but in the community and, and really champion and showcase these great examples of women taking entrepreneurial or innovative approaches to improving the farms and, and the incomes for their families. And I think that inspiration and the opportunity for peer-to-peer sharing is just so critical. You know, you can really mobilize so much energy and inspiration by investing in that. Yeah, it felt truly remarkable. For many of us, people don't really understand the reliance and importance of smallholder farmers. I mean, they're clearly at the heart of everything that Cafe Direct does and at the heart of um, Producers Direct. How important are smallholder farmers and helping them to be enabled to achieve some of the things you're mentioning? Yeah, well, I think probably what most people don't know is that 80% of the world's food and commodities are supplied by smallholder farmers internationally. And so that's over a billion smallholder farmers in total. So when we think about they're absolutely central, not only to the global food systems and agricultural systems, but also they have such a powerful impact on the world's natural resources as well, because there's such a a strong interface between uh, land under agriculture and land under natural resources management. And so essentially, like the world's food chain remains absolutely dependent on smallholder farmers, you know, whether or not we like it. And I think one of the things that's really troubling at the moment is that that is an ageing demographic. So across the network of smallholder farmers we work with, the average age of those smallholders is over 60. So if you think about in 20 years' time, then what is going to be happening to the world's food supply systems? And that's before you layer on the impacts of climate change. Climate change is getting a lot of attention in the press at the moment, rightly so, I guess better late than never. But it's... um, you know, all of those agricultural systems are going to change considerably under the projected climate change uh, impacts over the next uh, 10, 20, 30 years. And so essentially, you know, it's critical for all of us to be working with smallholders, not only to get our cup of coffee or tea, but just generally on on food systems and the sustainability of of that globally. Yeah, because it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Because most businesses are many stages removed from those smallholder farmers. And it strikes me that the kind of direct genuine interface that you have through a charity like Producers Direct only really brings it to life and helps us to see the importance of it. And I have to mention the pandemic. How has that impact been felt for farmers in Peru or Tanzania, for example? It's definitely been very different in different places, but maybe just to take Peru as an example, I think it's probably not over dramatic to say it's it's been disastrous. Obviously the kind of the Peruvian smallholders have experienced all of the challenges that we have in terms of loss of loved ones and things, but led on top of an extremely fragile healthcare system. You know, farmers are, are paying hundreds of pounds to be able to provide oxygen for their family members in hospital, uh, often without insurance. And so it's an incredibly difficult situation, even just dealing with the pandemic itself. And of course, uh, while vaccine rollouts are starting now in uh, some of these countries, it's definitely at a, a pace that's much slower than in the UK. And then if you take further layers, you've obviously got all of the socioeconomic challenges that were there before in in farming communities and taking the fact that smallholders aren't subsidised for loss of income and things like that if they have to stay at home because them or their family members are unwell. We've had situations, particularly for women smallholders, where they haven't been able to travel to sell their food crops at local markets. And so that's led on further drops in incomes. And of course, now we're starting to see all of the longer term challenges that we were fearing last year about uh, issues with supply chains, things like that, that the cooperatives are dealing with on top of 
price volatility. So we tend to be optimistic here and, and think that the pandemic is over, but certainly not wanting to paint too bleak of a picture. But I think, you know, the the challenges in all of the countries where Cafe Direct and Producers Direct are, are working are still incredibly significant and likely to be so for the coming years, for sure. As you say, we're, we're all optimists around the table. And I think um, you've got to believe and desire that the pandemic catalyzes change and helps to bring to life some of these requirements, especially regarding climate justice and social justice. But it's just, as you say, it's, it's very remarkably different country by country, the way the pandemic has been playing out. Not to have all, all negatives. One positive is that we are seeing an acceleration in the uptake of digital services across smallholder communities in, in Peru and, and East Africa as a result of the pandemic. And uh, for example, in Peru, there's been many magnitudes of increase in farmers using digital payments to accept for their crops and things, which is something that the international development community has been sort of hoping for for years. And I think it has driven these incentives to digitise. For example, you know, the fear of cash transactions spreading the virus has really driven people to do transactions on their phones and things like that. So there are positives as well. I'm not sure they balance just yet, but just to try and wait it out a little bit. Certainly, it's a bit like the use of video for communication and so on. It has been accelerating that, hasn't it? And I know meeting up with producers over Zoom and Teams, it's really shifted the way people communicate and will lead to positive change. Although, you know, as you say, that there are many negative parts of it as well. But um, the whole point about smallholder farmers and how do you see the relationship with producers direct and Cafe Direct? Because I think, you know, as you said at the beginning, Cafe Direct kind of founded Producers Direct. And it's quite a brave step to empower and provide um, independence effectively. How do you see that relationship working together strategically to, to best serve producers? Yeah, I mean, what I really love about the joint Cafe Direct Producers Direct model is that essentially, at least in the way that we're thinking about it and approaching it, we're, we're covering as many different kind of facets of the challenges smallholders face collectively as, as we can. And I think there's so much power in leveraging a sort of the two things, really. Firstly, uh, thinking about joint impact at, at origin and then on the international markets. And then secondly, uh, the power of business and uh, complemented by the power of a nonprofit that's able to mobilize additional funding for things that might not necessarily be viable kind of business ideas initially, but can be incubated to support that. So, you know, for example, if you think about the key challenges that smallholders face, you know, sort of market access is a massive one. And Cafe Direct's been so pioneering over the years in driving the opportunities for smallholders to access international markets, but then also have that enhanced certainty on the price uh, through fair trade and, and the different premiums and things as well. But then also the reinvestment of the profits has enabled that building of, of impact and the sustainability of farming communities at origin as well through the work of Producers Direct. And I think covering those joint aspects is critical. I think the other thing also, if you think about the governance model, the opportunities for producers to influence both organisations um, jointly, I think is really exciting and pioneering as well. So again, championing consistent producer leadership across both the work of Producers Direct and, and Cafe Direct. And I think uh, looking ahead, you know, we've obviously got the gold standard framework that outlines our joint kind of targets for the next uh, 10 years. So I think it'd be interesting maybe to talk about that a bit more as well, because I think we can really achieve great things together on that as well. Yeah, most definitely. I think, as you say, we use the um, sustainable development goals to catalyze another view forward for us both and um, work together on that. What do you think the, the biggest issues facing us and what do you see as the vision of in 10 years of what are the big things we really need to deliver on together? 
Yeah, well, I think um, the sustainability of production systems in the face of climate change is is massive. And I think thinking about, you know, the different roles for Producers Direct and, and Cafe Direct uh, there, you know, what I loved about the work that Cafe Direct has done so far on the pioneering insetting program that was started back in 2010 with Norandino is that, you know, Cafe Direct really took the lead in pre-financing climate adaptation strategies with producer partners in, in Peru. Um, and I think that's something that is incredibly critical and required even more so now. You know, I think the work that Producers Direct is doing is supporting farmers to access better data on climate predictions and understand how that's going to affect their coffee production, but also how they can diversify their farming systems to make sure that, you know, if their coffee is uh, one season dramatically affected by climate change, they don't lose income completely. And really supporting smallholders to plan on a, on a farm level, and then uh, thinking through to what Cafe Direct, from a business perspective, uh, needs to be thinking about. Those climate projections are equally important for Cafe Direct to be thinking about how how the supply chain can be planned and what investments need to be made in partnership with the cooperatives in order to really uh, finance uh, climate adaptation strategies that can ensure cooperatives and farmers are resilient to climate change. So I think. Thinking about the data and the um, investment requirements, you know, I think there's a really strong proposition for Producers Direct uh, and Cafe Direct to work jointly on that. And also then be that kind of flagship model that other businesses can also uh, learn from. Kind of good business, um, not only in 10 years, but now really is going to require much more financing of climate resilience. And I think um, we're in a really strong position to be able to showcase what we've done on that and what our plans on that will be. I think the the number of references to climate change, I think it's so fundamentally important. I, I remember years ago, it was very much seen that people were going, oh, these kind of businesses are trying to help impoverished farmers. And I think that so missed the point about empowering you know, a large population of people who can have a remarkable impact, not only on their livelihoods, but also on the fight against climate change, which it gets tougher and tougher, doesn't it? So it's um, quite quite an important and remarkable shift that's been going on. What's the one message to anybody who's listening? <laughs> well, I think um, just picking up on the point that you just made, I think there is still a tendency to think about smallholders as, as vulnerable and needing help. And I, you know, I would really want to flip that completely. Smallholders are facing such dynamic multiple risks across kind of commodity pricing, managing their farm, climate change, all at the same time. You know, and on the whole, they're doing that with a lot of expertise, a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom, but also innovating as well to make sure that they can sustain their livelihoods under su such dynamic situations. So my message would be to invest in that knowledge and wisdom and really learn from it and reframe our perceptions from it being kind of, you know, sort of us uh, supporting smallholders because they're vulnerable to actually there's so much wisdom and knowledge there that initiatives that invest in that and, and support that and, and working in partnership together is, is what ultimately is going to drive change. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very pioneering attitude to say it is about joint leadership, isn't it? And about levelling it all. And um, that's certainly the way that producers, directors been founded and has worked tirelessly for the last 12 years. And this question isn't on the paper that I you got earlier on, but I mean, you must give us a really, what, what's what's one of the funniest moments in Producers Direct? What really made you chuckle? What happened that was really quite unexpected? Funny is often in hindsight. I think back to our trip to Pangara when we were getting lost on the side of a mountain and in fog without a phone signal. And um, at the time that was marginally terrifying, but you know, in hindsight that, that feels quite funny. 
there's been countless, but I think, you know, I, I get a lot of um, happiness and joy from spending time with our producer partners. And it's always so wonderful to to learn from them and to see just how they approach things in, in such an inspiring way. So I don't, I don't know necessarily funny, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm always highly inspired and, and really enjoy the time I, I get to spend at Origin as well. So hopefully we'll get that back one day when we're allowed to get on a plane again. Yeah, and I think uh, that that's something that comes through from all these conversations is how rewarding it is to work in quite a diverse population, all aligned to try to address issues that need to be addressed. It's clearly for all of us very, very um, rewarding and meaningful, which is um, incredibly worthwhile. What about Cafe Direct? I mean, uh, Cafe Direct, it strikes me, you know, they pioneered in a number of ways and, you know, taking on fair trade in 1994 and becoming 100% committed to that was a very big moment and then you know setting up producers direct raising money through crowdfunding before it really existed and, and things like this the one thing that strikes me is getting quite a differentiated message out there is a challenge for the business what advice would you give me to help bring the cafe direct brand to life well i think um just picking up on a point that we talked about a bit earlier both cafe direct and producers direct underestimates the value but also the strengths that we have in the direct relationships we have with producer organizations you know not many organizations can pick up the phone to you know a farmer in Peru or you know in Kenya and speak to them directly and and we can and I think um, you know you see a lot of organizations claiming direct trade uh, models now but really do they have those direct relationships and so I think we do undersell that or at least underplay that in the model also the leadership and the trust that is placed on producer organizations as well and what what that means for the impact of the business you know with growing consumer trends on traceability and things like that being able to get that information and those stories directly from the smallholders themselves I think is really strong and then my, my third thing would be I think we do amazing things and we don't necessarily communicate them clearly enough you know there's a lot of consumer interest now in kind of climate issues and deforestation and, and cafe direct was pioneering that work. 10 years ago. And so it's light years ahead of a lot of the players in the same space, I would say, in relation to uh, insetting uh, carbon within the supply chain and really uh, doing that in a way that's actually investing in smallholder producers. Now, even 10 years ago, Cafe Direct was the first uh, organization to invest in a project where the carbon credits were owned by the smallholders. And so all of that work and everything that we've built on over the years in terms of really putting smallholder ownership at the heart of our model, Cafe Direct and Producers Direct together, I think, you know, all of those things, you know, people are only starting to think about now. And we've been doing that for the last 15, 20, 30 years. Even. Yeah, no, I think that's why it's quite exciting to be pausing at 30 years and recognising how pioneering and enduring the approach that we've taken together is, but also that the humility and the kind of shyness about it all needs to be put to one side more. And we need to really be kind of loud and proud about the way we've chosen to be so genuine in terms of delivering against what we believe in and help others to see that and, and think about it too. Because I do think you're right. I think we've we've shied away from communicating what we've done so well together. So I think that's good advice. How excited and energised are you about COP26? Well, so in my previous life, I used to spend quite a lot of time at international um, UN processes like that. So I'm not hugely excited for the process itself. But I think I am I am excited that climate change is getting a lot of attention in the media. And I think there's 
so many opportunities, you know, that, that are coming with that. We um, hopefully are, fingers crossed, on the, on the verge of getting some long-term funding for Peru to support all of our Peruvian cooperatives that Cafe Direct supplies from to work on climate change adaptation issues. And I think uh, being able to profile those examples and highlight those examples in international processes like the COP, where, you know, international policymakers who are staring at documents are crying out for actual examples of where this is being implemented in practice and it's working and, and having very uh, concrete data on the impact that's been driven. I think, you know, that that's what I'm excited about, really being able to showcase the role of smallholder producers in delivering the change that policymakers, are, you know, we've got all of the SDG targets um, and people are panicking about how to actually achieve them. And meanwhile, Cafe Direct and Producers Direct, you know, we're doing our part to actually shift the needle and really deliver on some of these uh, targets that are so challenging, especially uh, by 2030, that's for sure. It is important to bring it to life, isn't it? And to really show that action is required and here's some action that's going on so that it moves from policy discussions to immediate and significant action but you're right i think what's interesting is that the media attention is gaining momentum quite well based on climate change and what's what's interesting and i don't know if i'm right or wrong on this what's interesting is climate change has been hitting the the world in so many different ways hasn't it over the last you know clearly over many years but in the last sort of six seven months or whatever you've seen london you've seen belgium you've seen america you've seen all these kind of issues and so when a few years ago there was still a lot of climate denial it feels like everything's coming together to say we, we need to take immediate kind of joint action on these things and, and move from policy discussions to, you know, significant um, changes in the, the way we, we do business and the way that we all approach this. So um, I think that's why it does feel different, doesn't it? I think it does feel a different environment. It feels disappointing that it's taken it to actually arrive on the doorstep of, of the West to, you know, really give it the attention it deserves. And, you know, I think there is so much to do. And I think, you know, we do look particularly at the food systems and, and the sustainability of those under climate change. And I think that does feel like action is, is really urgent in order to, you know, make sure that the change can happen at the pace required, you know, in order to kind of keep up with the changing climatic conditions. So I think momentum's definitely growing, but yeah, I would like to see it pick up the pace for sure. It's fascinating and worrying, isn't it? The kind of seeing the human response and knowing that um, when it really comes to be so bad, there's no chance. So we need to be faster than that and um, more steadfast. I mean, so Producers Direct, it's very much producer-led. When you have a board meeting or, or a meeting, how does that dynamic play out? I mean, you touched earlier on sometimes it's wonderfully liberating and there's a huge amount of wisdom, and but other times it's quite frustrating. How does that work then? So I would say there's probably the dynamic pre-pandemic and the dynamic post-pandemic. So I can maybe make the distinction between those two things. I think Pre-pandemic, we met in person quarterly. And, and while it was obviously quite a high um, burden on the producer representatives to travel to, to London for those meetings, I think the dynamic once everyone's around the same table was, was really fantastic because, you know, you've got everyone as, as equals. And I think there's, there's definitely areas of discussion where the producer partners, you know, have, have so much vision and insight around programs and what we should be doing. You know, for example, we have Pauline, who's a female producer board member, but also a leader at Suret, where we have some of our program activities in Kenya. And she's always so strong on the importance of thinking about women within the programs and not necessarily assuming that the program benefits um, kind of men and, and women um, smallholders in the same way. 
So things like that, it, it's really important to have that challenge. But then there's other aspects when we, you know, we're going through kind of you know, UK charity regulations and what that means and where it can be a challenge because obviously when you have an international board, everyone has very different kind of national legislation on how to run a business or a not-for-profit. And so you know, that's, that's when it can be uh, challenging because you're looking to level people's understanding of what actually are requirements to comply with UK charity regulations. Post-pandemic, you know, we've been meeting every month by teleconference and that has been difficult, to be honest, because I think with the connection challenges, it's not a leveller at all. We're very privileged in the kind of UK to have great broadband access, but the uh, connections to the board members in Tanzania, Kenya, Peru has, has been difficult. And so, you know, you don't get that equal dynamic in the same way because, you know, some people are missing bits of the meetings and things. So I think we're really missing seeing everyone in person. I think it's definitely a challenge that we need to think about in the future governance of the organisation. Yeah, no, it's felt the same way for us. I think um, although the digital availability, things like Zoom and Teams and stuff helps, it's still, it's not the same, is it, as um, meeting up in person. And certainly the Cafe Direct Board meetings in the autumn, we're going to have those completely remote because it feels wrong to have six people in a room in London and a person on a hillside in Tanzania and a person on a hillside in Peru. It's just, it's exacerbating the issue, isn't it? So we're going we're gonna to stay remote whilst we've got that dynamic. And then, as you say, it's then important to work out a way that gets the most out of quite diverse leadership teams. And it's going to be so important to get back together again, isn't it, effectively? Not even to kind of mention, you know, with the time zone, we've basically got a window of one and a half hours where everyone's online at the same time. And it's sort of like trying to squeeze everyone into these very concentrated time, time bursts as well. It, it puts more pressure on the situation. Yeah, no, I think we had to have a meeting the other day where we couldn't do it in the afternoon. And so we ended up doing it in the morning. And um Therefore, the time difference wasn't going to work for Peru. And so it was, I think it was 3.30 a.m. in Peru. But the producer director still turned up. Quite amazing. Uh, if you think about, you know, different people's attitude to work and to making a difference, to have uh, Raul turn up at um, 3.30 a.m. and want to contribute towards the meeting was quite, quite amazing. So Yeah, but I was going to say, there's, there's your answer to what it means to producers to be part of that leadership. You know, when you get producers that really value that opportunity, it's, it is it is amazing that, you know, the hurdles that they will go through to support. And I think, you know, it's important to recognise, certainly for the Producers Direct Board, um, we're not for profit. And so the board members don't get compensated for their time. So, you know, when you're a smallholder farmer, taking all of that time out from your farm in order to participate, we can't kind of undervalue the contribution of that. I mean, it's it's amazing and kind of in, in awe of, of that, you know, you wouldn't get that commitment necessarily always. So it's, it's important to recognise it. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to bring it to life and to dwell on it because um, it just shows that people can make the choice to to really commit to something and make a difference. And if we all do that, then we will combat climate change and overcome the issues we're facing. But it's it's sort of down to us, isn't it? And it is quite remarkable when somebody chooses to do that. We can all choose to make make a difference. So quite remarkable. If you go back to two thousand and fourteen, how did it feel when We Farm won the global challenge? It was definitely amazing because I think the interesting thing about, so maybe just to take a few steps back, we started WeFarm in 2010 and um, essentially it emerged from one of the ideas that was on the, the business plan that was presented to me on day one. You know, producers had said that they wanted a way of being able to share and connect with each other when they weren't in the same place. I think Cafe Direct had had an amazing international conference before I joined in 2008 and all of the producer representatives, or not all, but representatives from across the 37 cooperatives came together and I think they were so inspired by being together that they wanted to 
continue to network and share. So so we started WeFarm really with the idea that it would be a way of enabling producers to connect with each other when they weren't in person. And um, we very quickly realised when we put in a funding proposal originally for WeFarm, it was an internet-based platform. Um, but we very quickly realised that wasn't going to work because of the connections. And so we switched and pivoted to designing it by SMS. The key thing always was that producers would share and support each other by asking and answering each other questions and sharing farming tips and information. For a number of years, so probably two, three years, we presented the proposal to many international donors and they didn't necessarily see the value in that because they genuinely believed that farmers receiving advice from researchers or experts in inverted commas was better than farmers receiving um, information uh, from each other. And so we really struggled to to secure donor fundraising for it. So really the idea behind setting it up as a business was to enable it to it being WeFarm to target investors who weren't necessarily seeing it from a development perspective, but more from kind of communications and the opportunities to to invest from a, a kind of investment perspective. So the, the kind of thinking behind it emerged over time. So by the time we got the um, stage where we won the Google Impact Challenge, we were our minds were blown because we we spent kind of three years trying to convince people of the value of WeFarm and, and not necessarily succeeding. So to go from that to suddenly uh, getting recognition, and I think, again, kind of Google were recognising it from the sort of network effect rather than from you know the benefits of sharing agricultural knowledge perspective, that it was wonderful because uh, suddenly it just validated everything that we'd been working towards for four years in a really uh, kind of elevating way. So, yeah, it, ch- it changed overnight, and that was really exciting. No, it must have felt absolutely phenomenal, especially when you describe that journey and the perseverance and belief in what you're doing and then finding a way for it to not only be recognised, but then scaled up to make a bigger difference. Of course, once it won the Google Impact Challenge, all of the other donors then got interested in it. <laughs> so it always works like that. Sometimes it takes that to get everybody to come to the table. It was um, really incredibly well done. And for a small group of you know people in a, you know early stage charity to have the vision to deliver that kind of idea and then the commitment to find a way to to scale it through winning an award. It's testament to probably the team and the model working together with with producers. Yeah, no, thank you. This is maybe me being guilty of being humble, but also, you know, there's an element of of luck in it with fundraising too, because we literally submitted the same proposal the year before and didn't get anywhere. You know, we didn't even get through the first round. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Some of these things really does depend on, on who's reading the application and whether, you know, it, it resonates as to whether you, you get through that initial filter. That's the challenge with fundraising. You know, you can submit some amazing concepts and they go nowhere. And then, and then things that you're thinking, oh, there's no chance here. Then, then suddenly it all does work out. So. Yeah, no, I, I think um, the humility is appreciated, but it was you guys who chose to put it back in again after getting nowhere the previous year. So I think, I think it is down to you. <laughs> okay, I'll take some credit. <laughs> God, gee, it's hard work sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> Bring it back to sustainable business a bit and thinking about you know that moving forward and there's so many opportunities you know for cafe direct to sort of reframe what sustainable business looks like you know almost sustainable business now is is a hygiene factor what does it mean to be a pioneer in business and i think you know everything that we're thinking about about you know smallholders having leadership and ownership within the value chain and if you think about the ecosystem of actors that needs to be required to move a system in response to climate change or you know sustainability issues then this idea of Cafe Direct having such a diverse shareholder base covering all of those different stakeholders and, and pioneering new models of collaboration across the value chain, I think is 
you know, it's, it's, there's so much potential there. It's really exciting. Cafe Direct's in a great position to do that and, you know, producers director to support that too. Yeah, because as you say, this this podcast is about building better business, but it's fascinating, isn't it? We're, we're looking at the role of a charity in delivering that and some people would view charity as different, but really it's about finding a way through to deliver the, the, the systematic change that's required, isn't it? And the model is working in that way and it, it is something that we should be... Um, sharing much more because other organizations can choose to set up foundations or charities or other models that can have profound impact in the way that producers direct has been having and um we need systems change and here's a great example of not only a, a different system but also the way it brings producers to the fore in it is it just feels like it's the right way to get the kind of change in improving livelihoods and changing the landscapes in which a lot of climate change can be affected. So, um, yeah, I think uh, we need to get rid of that humility a bit, don't we, really? So. System change is so complicated and, you know, over such a long-term time frame that it's, you know, it's absolutely impossible for one actor to do it on their own. You know, like the most important thing, I think, to drive change is then the facilitation of, you know, lots of different kind of organisations working well in partnership with a really strong shared vision of where that partnership wants to go over the next 10 to 20 years. And essentially, that's what Cafe Direct is, is doing with the outlining of its, um, you know, 2030 targets around environment, social and economic achievements. You know, it's moving the system and that has to be done for sure through collaboration and many different actors together. Thank you so much to Claire for joining us there. Producers Direct really is an incredible charity making a tremendous and long-lasting impact. A small plea from me now, just to say that if you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you use, as it does make a huge difference. Thank you. Bye for now. I've got a